we're so glad you're here today. My name is Pastor Joel. I'm one of the executive pastors here on behalf of Pastor Aaron and Pastor Dylan and the entire North Place team. We're glad you're here today on this beautiful, beautiful day. It stopped raining, and uh, we are so thankful for that, especially the fact if you look over here, we're obviously not done with this building. We've had a little bit of flooding, and uh, every day we've been praying against the rain, and after six or seven days of praying, it finally worked. So we're, we're glad of that. Um, but uh, on behalf of our pastors, uh, Pastor Randy and Desra, we just want to say welcome. And just to give you a, pa a little update on Pastor Randy and Desra, they've been in the United States, uh, a little bit of rest, a refreshment, raising money as we continue. As you can see, every time you show up, we're making progress. Walls are coming down. Things are being torn up. And we promise we're going to put them back better. All right? We're not just into destruction. We're into construction. And Pastor Randy and Desra have been raising money for that. But the, they, they were delayed a little bit for meetings, but in God's sovereign way, he had another purpose. And in this time of delay, they were supposed to come back here this last week or starting out maybe on Tuesday. But Pastor Randy's father was, uh, was discovered to have some enormous clots in some very, very key arteries um, in his body. Basically 90, 95% blockage um, in his carotid arteries. And uh, he was very, very at high risk for stroke. And so they're trying to get him into a doctor. They're trying to get him treatment. But Pastor Randy just felt he needed to be there for his dad and his family. And absolutely, right? And so uh, be praying for them. Uh, they want to be here, but of course they need to be there. But be praying for him, praying for his dad. For those of you that have loved ones that have suffered that way, you know how, how concerning this can be. But they know uh, that you're praying for them. We love them. We support them. And I think one of the greatest gifts that we can be do and give as a church is just to be the church, to be faithful. And uh, we have been, and you have been, and you're going to hear some great updates on how this church is just going forward. And, uh, and they're excited about it, but we'll save that for a little bit later. But if you're new here today, if you're here for the first time, or you've missed a couple of weeks for whatever reason, uh, you know, or we just need to review a little bit, review is always good because I know you are bombarded with information. We have been in a series called Focus. And for the last six, seven, and this is our seventh week, this is our final week, we have been in a series in the book of John where we have been looking at the life of Jesus and we have been focusing on seven miracles or the way John describes them as signs in his book that tell us something very particular. John wanted to make sure that we got a message and he tells us exactly what that is in our key verse and it's going to be on the screen. We've been referring to it every week, but the point of John's book, the Gospel of John, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the point of John's Gospel, he's very clear, he says this in chapter 20, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of disciples. In other words, everything that, not everything Jesus did was written in the book of John. Some people will say, well, John isn't the same as Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and so maybe there's an error. No, no, no. He's, he said there's many other things that he did. I just didn't put them down. But the signs that I've recorded, the ones that I've recorded, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I'm not just here to convey information to you, but there is, a, there is an expectation, at least there is a hope, that after you look at the evidence and after you looked at what John has seen, perhaps that you would then take that next step and consider the weight of what he, Jesus did and that you would believe in him and that there would be a benefit to that, that you, by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, I want to pause for a moment. We've gone through six, uh, six weeks. This is the seventh week. And myself and Pastor Aaron and Pastor Dylan have shared these, these signs, these miracles. And it, it's really kind of interesting that, you know, we may be able to pass judgment. And this day, we are so used to 24-hour news cycles that we know exactly what's happening, when it's happening, as it's happening. 
And we can often get kind of uh, cynical and, and, and wonder what's wrong with people. We read about the people in the Bible and they saw Jesus do a miracle or two miracles or three miracles. But no, 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 John's talking about seven miracles and it says that there, there are people that had difficulty believing. Like what, what is it? What would keep someone from believing in Jesus? Maybe we should have been asking this question every single week, but after this miracle, after whatever miracle we're talking about, what would keep someone from believing in Jesus? Now, I don't know um, if you know this or not, but we've, we've talked a little bit about it, but we, there's, a, there's a good way of studying the Bible. When you study a book, you need to ask the question, why? Why was this book written? Why did this author write this book? And then it kind of helps you understand his style and his approach. But I don't know if you know this or not, but the Gospel of John was written, yes, so that you would know these signs, yes, that you would believe, but there are some issues and concerns that every writer was tackling, and one of those was, 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 was not just for then, it's for now. And the, it's also underlined by the Apostle Paul. Paul was, was a missionary. He traveled the known world. And in his ministry, he said to the Ephesians in Acts chapter 20, he said something was happening. It was happening then, not too long after Jesus died, rose from the dead, and then ascended and left the ministry to his disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit. But something was happening. It was, didn't take very long for, for this threat, for this, for, this, for this heresy, for this misinformation to start weaving its way. And people are starting to form their own opinions, dealing with the struggles and trying to, and dealing with their struggles and, and connecting this and wrestling with the, the identity of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul said this to the Ephesians in Acts chapter 20, verses 29. He says, after I'm gone, after I'm gone, I know that there are going to be wolves that are going to come in, not from the flock of God, but seeking to draw men after themselves. And from your own group, from your own group, there will be those who will arise who will even deny our very Lord. So people are going to come from the inside. They're going to sit, know what to say. They're going to know how to act. But they are going to go so far and get so, so misunderstood that they're going to deny our Lord, Jesus. And not too long after Paul gave this warning and he left, this problem began to arise. In fact, something began to happen. There's a belief system called Gnosticism. Gnosticism had began to permeate the church. People were kind of like, were, were, were twisting the identity of Jesus just a little bit to the point that he was no longer who he said he was. And this was beginning to permeate and draw people away into a false concept of Jesus, especially where the topic of evil was concerned. See, Gnosticism was a slippery slope concept that was beginning to whip its way and I believe it's kind of, it's really kind of working its way through the church now. It's, it's here, it's in different belief systems, but it's even kind of, da, you know, it gets there where we have a struggle, especially with our young people, where we talk about a good God, we talk about a faithful God, a loving God, an all-powerful God who's with us and will never leave us, never forsake us. But our young people will hear about this, but then they'll go on YouTube, they'll go on social media, and they'll see all the evil in the world. And someone has been saying about this younger generation, they learn with their eyes and they, and they decide with their hearts. And many of us struggle with the same thing. How can I believe in a good God, but I see so much evil in the world? And Gnosticism would say, well, you see, that's the problem. You see, the God you believe in, you know, he's not the God. That, that, he's not, you can't know God. The God the, they talked about a God that was way out there in, the, in, in eons past. He's unknowable. You can't know him except for a special few who tap into a special wisdom. So they really, really play into that exclusivity and, and significance of the special few. 
and, they, and he said, that God you don't know, but emanations of that God went out, and a particular emanation went out, and he got so away, he forgot who, where he came from, and he created this, the earth, and, and the, because he's evil, the earth is evil, and therefore Jesus can't be real, Jesus can't be who he said he was, he can't be fully God and fully man, because if he was fully man, he would be evil. And so he's not really God, he's not really man, he's this phantom. And when you begin to mess with the identity of Jesus, you get in a whole lot of trouble. You get into a whole lot of trouble. And that was what the problem was, and it was really disrupting the church. In fact, the problem of evil, this idea that, wow, if, if I can't trust the God that made heaven and earth, if I can't trust who you say Jesus is, and I can't see, then, then, then I'm really struggling here. And the problem of evil is at the core of what makes many people lose their focus on Jesus. Because I hear about a good God, but then I see evil. And I hear about an all-powerful God, but I see evil. And it's what we all, so many of us will lose focus. Maybe not today, but maybe us know. And it really comes down to this. No matter where you're from, many of us will wonder, why would a good God allow bad things to happen? That is a number one question in studies show why young people walk away from the church. How can a good God allow bad things to happen? It's usually broken down into two assumptions. One, that if God is all-powerful, he could eliminate evil. He could if he's all-powerful, but he hasn't, so therefore he must not be able to eliminate evil. Or the other side of it is, if God is all-loving, he would eliminate evil. If God loves me, if God cares me, he would do something about it, but he hasn't. So he must not love me. He must not be all-loving. That's a universal struggle. That's a universal uh, question. It's a question that's undermined many people's faith in God. Maybe you know some people that you know, started out strong, but then evil came to town. You know, it's easy to talk about it out there, but when it lands in your home, in your family, in your life, in your finances, in your, you know, in your health, in any of these ways, natural disasters, and anything else, it's a little bit different topic, isn't it? It's easy to talk about it out there, but it's, it's, it's harder to manage and deal with it in your own life. And without a clear, it, 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 maybe you know somebody that's walked away. I know I have. There are people that I just never saw it coming. They never, I never saw, and they are, they're not only walked away, they're not just cold, they are actually hot on the other side. They are, they are guaranteed, they, they are committed to undermining the cause of Christ because they can't deal with the problem of evil. It's that pervasive. It's that pervasive. And without a clear response, without a clear understanding, without a clear focus, Many of us are going to, we could lose the, the, this idea of who Jesus is and, and choose to maybe take another path because it just doesn't seem to be working for us. And in these terrible times, in these unprecedented times, I mean, a worldwide pandemic, right? It just keeps coming. In insurrection, in, in political unrest, the economy takes hit after hit after hit. After a while, we just kind of get weary. And when it comes to everyone has experienced, there's not one person in this room that say, I've been, I've been spared from the touch of evil. It's here, it's there, and it's hard to deal with. And there is a lot to that debate, and we're not going to dive into that today. But what it comes down to, what it really comes down to is the struggle to believe in and trust in a God in the midst of evil in the world. How do we do that? But if we pull together everything, and I, if you haven't been here I, every single week, I would encourage you to go on our website. We posted every single message from this series on focus on our podcast. I would challenge you to go back, and even if you've been here, you should go hear it again, and thread it together. All you, We pull together everything that we have heard from this series on focus, and we take into account everything that John saw, that he heard, that he wrote about concerning his time with Jesus. We could sum up John's evaluation. If we could bring John on the the stage right now and ask him, sum it up, John would say something like this. He said, I saw God in a body. 
I saw God on earth, and he walked among evil men. He faced, he dealt with, he interacted with evil that is almost unmentionable. But the God in a body that I saw did not prove he was God by eliminating evil. He didn't walk through with a flamethrower. He didn't bring down lightning and thunder. His disciples wanted it to. John himself was called the son of thunder. He says, man, let's just bring the thunder down. Let's just let's drop, drop the bomb on this place. These evil, evil people, they should be taken care of. They should be destroyed. He did not do that. He didn't even deal with the evil in his own followers when they denied him, betrayed him. But he loved them, and he loves us. And then he went to work on the evil in the world. I saw a good God, and I saw in the midst of evil, and I saw that the two can coexist. But just because he has not dealt with evil right when he encountered it, folks, it does not mean he doesn't care about it. It doesn't mean he's concerned about it. He's not concerned about it, and he doesn't mean that he won't deal with it. So we have got to hold on and maintain our focus because he is not done yet. And if you don't remember anything else from this message, I want you to remember this. When it comes to maintaining our focus on Jesus, a, deny, a delay of delivery does not mean a denial of devotion. Can I say that one more time? When it comes to maintaining our focus on Jesus in the midst of evil times, a delay in delivery a delay in the delivery of, your, of his help in your life. A delay of delivery in his, his help, his healing, the hope, the, the manifestation. It may not come today. It may not come anytime soon. But at the end of the day, a delay in delivery does not mean a denial of devotion. It doesn't mean he's left you. It doesn't mean he's forsaken you. It doesn't mean he can't. And it doesn't mean he won't. He just is still working on it. And in today, we're going to see how that is illustrated in a powerful way. In this last week, we're going to examine this last miracle, this last sign that, used, that John used to show that he is the Messiah. And in case you still haven't connected the dots, because we have this last week, and I don't want you to miss it, we're looking at these seven miracles not to point you in the direction of or, or get you connected with a particular miracle or sign. That's not the point of this, to say, look, he did it this way, so that's why the way you should do it. We don't want you to, to, to assume that, that when you deal with the blind or you deal with when you run out of wine at you know, your celebration that you, know, you just pray over the water you know, and, and you can get a, a refill. That's not how it works. So we're not pointing to the sign in of itself. And we're certainly not trying to say that these signs were, were, to te- were just random acts of kindness or meant to be a formula for replication. Like Pastor Aaron, like last week he talked about the, blonde, the man born blind and Jesus spit on the mud and then put it on his eyes and told him to go wash. I hope that we don't get word that, that you are going out and you're, that's, that's how you're treating things. And that your solution for every you know, wound is like, oh, just, you know, I'll, I'll just you know, spit on the ground and put a little mud on it. All right? That is not what we're telling you to do. And that's, hopefully you're not treating that. And if anyone's in the medical field, please don't take that and, and apply that as well. That's not what Pastor Aaron was saying. But rather these miracles are meant to point to Jesus. These miracles were meant to, to, to substantiate what he said about himself. So turn with me to John chapter 11, if you have your Bibles. And in this last miracle, starting at verse 1, this is a big story. We're going to go through it very quickly. But it says, in this story, John documented a case where Jesus not only brought a, a, a close friend of his, Lazarus, back to life. His friend died, and he brought him back to life. But it documents such an amazing, greater truth, if that could be possible. 
that he didn't just raise someone from the dead, which is miraculous enough, but he showed that, that, it, that, that bad things can happen even in the presence of God walking on the earth and God can use those things powerfully for his glory. God not only exists in the midst of a world that has evil and suffering, he chooses to engage with it. God didn't eliminate the evil in that moment. He didn't even stop it from happening, although he could have. But you know what? Eventually, the rest of the book of John will talk about how he dealt with evil. He dealt with it in a way that only he could. Now, if you remember, again, you connect the dots. You can't understand these and really appreciate all these miracles unless you read the whole narrative. This is not a collection of little stories. This isn't little, like we read our uh, to our five-year-old son, you know, at night we read different stories. This is one whole story, and you want, we want you to connect the dots. And there's a lot, of, a lot of great stuff in between these miracles. There's incredible theology. There's incredibly teaching in between. But what we see, we pick up the story here. After Jesus healed the blind man, he says that he went, was going back and forth from Galilee in Jerusalem. He'd be up in Galilee where he had lots of supporters and friends, and then he would come down to Jerusalem where he had most of his enemies, and that's where he got into the most trouble. And we see that, that he's kind of traveling back and forth, and we see that every time he comes down to Jerusalem, his followers get nervous because he's really walking into the belly of the beast. He's walking into the lion's den where he provokes the leaders, the religious leaders, who, who say that he is not God, who say despite what they've seen and what they've heard, they don't believe he's God. And you have to wonder why they wouldn't accept him for who he says he is? Is it because he doesn't look the way they think he should look and he's not doing what they think he should do? But that's what Jesus does. He doesn't do it our way. He doesn't do it in our timing. He does it in God's way. It's in this, he comes down to Jerusalem and Jerusalem is a place where the temple leaders and others were always asking him, get this, you go back in chapter 10, verse 24, it says, the Jews who were gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you. I did tell you. I told you a lot. Go back in chapter 8. Go back in chapter 9. You, if you read it for yourself, it's been documented. I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. He said, I've been doing it. You want proof? I've been doing it. He fed the 5,000. They followed him around the lake. If you listen to that message, and there's like, hey, what are you going to do for us? I just did. Yeah, 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 but that was yesterday. What are you going to do for us now so that we may believe? And he said, I've already told you, I've already shown you, but you didn't believe. You aren't paying attention. And so now, if, 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 if maybe this was Jesus' motivation, I don't think so, but he, now he's going to go all in. Now he's going to decide, okay, fine, if you won't believe the water and the wine, if you won't believe the healings, if you won't believe the feeding, maybe you'll believe something else. And so he, go, he leaves Jerusalem. He, he walks out of the city after they've kind of challenged him and he didn't do what they wanted. He goes a little ways and he chooses to manufacture a sign. He's not being reactive. He's actually kind of being proactive in this sign in a community so that no one will have any doubt to who he is and force the hand of those who are willfully blind to what Jesus has already done. In other words, he's going to do something that you have got to willfully choose not to believe in him and follow him because you can't explain any other way what he has done except that he is God. And so it says, verse 11, it says, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now imagine being a, such a good friend of Jesus that you, that, that you get to one, the one you love is sick, 
and being so close to Jesus that Jesus automatically knows who he's talking about and what is needed. He didn't say, hey, Lord, Lazarus, remember Lazarus? You know, you met him at a party one time. Lazarus, you stayed at his house. No, the one you love is sick. And, he, and there's an expectation of relationship that if I call on the name of the Lord, I'll be saved. If I call on the name of the Lord, we're that close that all I have to do is just state my need and I am confident that God will respond to it. And Jesus was only one day's walk away from getting there. He could have easily gotten there in time. But verse four says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Reassuring. So glad to hear that. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus already knew it. Jesus already planned for it. And he made an assurance. It's not going to happen. It's not going to die. Now think about it. Really, when you take this, some of us could believe this just on, on, its, on, its, on its face value. But really, when you read this whole story, this verse gets us in trouble. Because the way the story is documented, it makes Jesus out to be a liar. He says, because at the end of the day, if you really connect the dots, if you connect the dots with, with, with this narrative we're going to see, and he goes, he heard about it, he was only one day away, but by the time he heard, got the message, Lazarus was already dead. And yet Je Jesus makes his promise, this sickness will not end in death. So secondly, Jesus actually believed that bad things could happen. Jesus was not like in shock, and he wasn't there to prevent, stop. Why wouldn't Jesus stop this? Why didn't Jesus stop this? Jesus didn't stop things from happening, even when he was on earth. In fact, he didn't, help, he didn't stop it from happening from people that he was close to and that he loved. And that not only do bad things not disprove God, so you can't say, well, evil's in the world, so that disproves God, but actually it can underscore the existence of God and it can underscore our need for God. I don't want to live in a world where there's evil and not have a God. Why would you handicap yourself that way? But this, this sickness, even furthermore, there's detail in this. This sickness was not created by a man. Lazarus did not get sick because of a behavior or a habit. But this sickness was found in nature. And some of us struggle with the existence of God and the existence of evil because, because of natural disasters. How could that hurricane happen? How could that tornado happen? How could that earthquake happen? And yet we're told, we're told that even nature itself is our enemy. And the earth groans, waiting for the deliverance from the Lord. But even that can be used for God's glory. The evil was left unattended on purpose because Jesus had a purpose for it. Now, sickness for the glory of God, right there we kind of get a little trouble. No, it's for God's glory. This sickness is for God's glory. That could get us in a little bit of trouble because that's not comfortable, right? That's not intuitive, right? That's not what we signed up for, right? But John knows his readers. John knows that we're, he feels this. He gets out ahead of it. And so he adds this little editorial comment to realize that, that God does not allow evil because he's out to get you. But evil things happen. And he says this, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That he is not out to get them. He loves them. Why does John tell us this? Because Jesus' actions or his lack of action in the moment makes it look like he doesn't love them. And sometimes in your life, it doesn't look like God loves you very much, does it? That you struggle and you're suffering and you're wondering and you're prayed and your prayers have bounced off what the scriptures say are brassy heavens. See, like God is not listening to your prayers. God is not answering your prayers. God's not coming to your aid and you wonder, does he not care? Does he not notice? Do I not matter? And can I tell you right now, what is so beautiful about this story is that it really helps us to relate to, to those people. That, you know what, we're not singled out. We're not singled out. God's not mad at you. God's not left you. 
that even those who were the closest to him on earth sometimes suffered a delay in the delivery of their deliverance, right? So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, get this, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he came running, right? He came running. Nope. It says when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Why in the world would he do that? Because it, maybe that doesn't matter because, you know, a few, a few chapters ago we saw a miracle where Jesus didn't have to go a long distance. That a man came and said, Lord, my child is sick. Come with me. And Jesus said, no, you, you can go. Your child is healed. Jesus proved that he could heal long distance. So why wouldn't he have done that? But is it possible that Jesus had a different purpose? Rather than say, you know what, I'm not, every time somebody, somebody makes a mention that I'm just going to sit on a rock and I'm going to dispense miracles out, out, from, out into the ether, maybe Jesus had a different purpose and was intentionally creating an opportunity to do and suddenly something incredible, and he was running down the clock. He was running down the clock. Because in that tradition, that when someone died, the spirit would, would, would hover for about three days. And in three days, they felt like, well, the spirit could go back in the body. And so in order to make sure that this miracle really goes down in history, he waits it out. He runs it out. He says, we're not going to let anyone think that, well, this, this could have happened anyway. But he runs down the clock. And then, and then after two more days, he says, he's still got a day's journey. So the messenger came one day. He waits two more days. And now he's got a day's journey to go. And then he says, let's go back to Judea. Now? Let's go back now? And on the surface, even his disciples know this is not a good idea. It says, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Because do you realize you're going, walking right into the firing squad? Because the thing about being stoned is that a lot of times they don't have good aim. And if you're hanging around the guy who's getting stoned, you might get stoned too. Right? It's like, you know what, this isn't a good idea for you. This isn't a good idea for us. Maybe we just don't get ourselves in trouble. But Jesus said, nope, let's go back to Judea. And this is actually proof that the narrative is real. That this is not trying to paint these guys out to be heroes. These people were just as frail, just as fearful, just as doubtful. They had seen what they had seen with their own eyes what Jesus had done, and yet they really still struggle. Yeah, you've done this before. Yeah, you've gotten away with it before and everything. But every once in a while, you just keep putting yourself in trouble, and you're getting us into it too. And I'm not sure if that's what I want to sign up for. But it really happened. And you can see how human each of these people are and the struggles that are real. But then typical for Jesus... He doesn't focus on that. He doesn't think of a solution. He doesn't think of a preventative solution. But he, he changes the conversation with this weird statement. He says, verse 9, says, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Now, when I read this, I thought, what does this have to do with anything? What does this have to do with anything? Well, he's saying, you know what? You have 12 hours of opportunity. You have, you have time to get done what God wants you to get done. You don't need to lead, you don't need to live thinking that I'm running out of time. You have time to do what God wants you to do. He's reminding them when he taught them way back in chapter eight. You see, you gotta read the whole story. For your daily 20, I would really challenge you to take the book of John and maybe just you know, follow along with these, with these messages on the podcast and everything and look in chapter eight because again, between miracles, there's a lot of great teaching he said in chapter 8, he says, you have a unique opportunity. He said, I am the light of the world in chapter 8. I'm, I'm the light of the world. And he's saying here, he's reminding them, you have a unique opportunity to be in the presence of the light of the world. 
you have the, the opportunity to follow the light while the light is in the world. You will never see more clearly than you see right now. You will never have as much confidence in facing what you're about to face than you will right now when I'm with you. If you stay here out of fear, if you give in to your fear, if you let fear grab a hold of you, you will miss the opportunity to see the light of the world shine in the darkest moment of a person's life. And he's telling me, he's telling you today, that's just not a message for them, that is for you and for me today. Without the light of the world, without a light in this world, you will stumble around in the darkness Without, if you try to go your own way, if you try to figure it out your own way, if you try to rely on your humanistic confidence in your own self and the goodness of man and the, and the capability and the potential of humankind, you will stumble in a world that has no meaning, that has no purpose, that has no result that you'll be looking for. It will be a doggy dog world. I had a friend who fell away from God for that he lost his focus because of evil. He lost his focus of evil. He was resentful because someone he cared about got sick. The funny thing is the person who got sick didn't get, didn't get mad. The person who got sick actually pulled closer to God. But this person lost their focus. How could a good God allow that to happen? This person is a pastor. This person serves. This person has given sacrificially. I've eaten in their home. I've stayed at their home. They're like a second mother to me. And how dare, how dare God do that? The funny thing is the mom didn't have that problem. She's like, this is for the glory of God. And she's alive today. She survived. But he lost his focus. And the funny thing is, is he's demanding justice, and he's demanding help. He's demanding goodness from man and everything. And at the end of the day, I'm saying, you don't have a light. You don't have a reference point. You don't have any purpose. What, if there is no God, if, if, if God is evil, and there's like, then, then basically we're all out for ourselves, and what does it matter if she dies? What does it matter? What do you care? How can you care? And see, we, if we lose our focus, if we lose our, our lock, our focus on the light of the world, nothing will make sense. So that's why Jesus said he was the light of the world. And it's important for us to know and believe that. Not just to know it, not just to have knowledge that you can pass a test with, but to believe it in our hearts. Otherwise, the twists and turns of life will not make sense. So after he said this, he says, look, you've only got so much time. You've got time to watch me in action, and you've got time to bolster your faith and get a lock on who I am before the time runs out. And after he said this, verse 11, he said, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm gonna go wake him up. And his disciples replied, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. See, they're not, they still don't see it. They, they, they're, hoping, they're hoping that it's just a natural sickness. And he says, no, I'm gonna wake him up. And they're showing how, how scared they are. They're trying to make medical excuses. Well, you know, if he, if he sleeps, then he'll get better. You can leave him alone. We don't have to go. We don't have to go. We don't have to get involved. It'll take care of itself. But how often can we live in denial, right? We live in denial of what's going on and even our involvement. Well, I don't need to get involved. But Jesus sees things differently. And Jesus says, look, when it comes to me, death is like sleeping. I don't see death as, as the end. I don't fear death. Death is not the end. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And I think it's just fascinating to notice the perspective of death between a believer and a non-believer. Paul said that we grieve, and it's okay to grieve. Some of us have lost people recently. And as a Christian, it's okay to grieve. As a Christian, you should grieve. Because why? Because death is not supposed to be the way it was. Death was never meant to, was never in God's plan. Death was not part of creation. Sin brought death. It's okay to grieve because, it, because inside there's something in us that says, this isn't right, and God would agree with you. God would agree with you that death is not right. But it's interesting that we can grieve but not without hope, because we know it's not the end. 
And so, verse 14, he says, he told them plainly, look, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. And what comes next is horrible. It's absolutely horrible. I don't know about you. Have you ever had to deliver bad news? You ever had to deliver bad news to someone? I hated it. I had to deliver, I've had to deliver bad news to my family, to Amy's family. It's the worst thing to do. But, you know, what comes next is horrible for Mary and Martha and those who hear it first. But later on, it's the most marvelous claim. He says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there. What? For your sake, I was glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. I was glad? I was glad. Jesus, you're sick. You're demented. Either Jesus is demented or he's up to something. What could it be? And then Thomas kind of jumps on the bandwagon. I'm not sure. He says, verse 16, John, Thomas, also known as Didymus, um, that's in Greek, said the rest, to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. He goes, this is a suicide mission. Let's just, let's just, let's just throw, it, throw in the towel. It's, it's over. But we know that's not the rest of the story. See, when we look with human eyes, when we don't follow Jesus, when we lose our focus on Jesus, anything that happens to us here is, 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 is final. It's over. It's done. But Jesus is the God of miracles, isn't he? We have seen that time and time again, and this is no exception. Verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. That was the tradition. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Whoa. The one that you love is dead, and, Mar and Martha is going to let you know about it. He said, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, Jesus, this is partially your fault. You should have been here. You got the message. You weren't far away. You should have been here. I believe in you, but you dropped the ball. I believed in you, but you failed. But isn't it good to know? Isn't it assuring to know that there's nothing wrong with your faith when things don't go your way? It's not that you didn't pray. It's not that you didn't pray hard enough. It's not that you didn't have the right words. Isn't it good to know that, some, that your faith, there's nothing wrong with your faith even when things go your wrong way? Bad things happen to Jesus' friends all the time. And Jesus intends to show us that a delay in delivery is not a denial of devotion. Even in her anguish and, and, and disappointment, Martha still has a little shred of faith. And so she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you want. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Well, that's good to know. But now she's assuming that he's gone into preacher mode. She's assuming that, like, okay, typical pastor, you're going to give me a book, you're going to give me a verse, you're going to give me a quotation, you're going to give me a little thing. But you know, how many of us in our grief know that doesn't comfort us, right? I don't need a saying. I don't need a verse. I don't need that, I don't need that pick-me-up. All I need to know is that you could have done something, that there could have been hope. And Jesus doesn't do that. She says, you know, Martha says, I, I know, I know, I know. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day, but I wanted him to be resurrected today. I'm, I'm glad that there's hope tomorrow, but right now I'm in pain today. Right now, I know you'll deal with evil then, but I needed you to deal with evil today. And this is what makes Jesus stand out from anybody else. He wasn't a wise man. He wasn't a life coach. He wasn't, he, he wasn't an influencer. He doesn't offer advice. He offers himself. 
He said, Mary, he said, Martha, he said, Martha, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, in other words, the one who puts their trust in me, not just knows me, not just acknowledges me, but the one who puts their trust in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks the question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? I am the, you know me, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, Jesus demands a yes or no. It's either yes or no. Do you believe this? And thankfully she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God who is to come into the world. She got it. The text says that Mary came out. She heard that Jesus was there. She came out, and she wasn't about to let Martha have the last word, so she came out, and she gave basically Jesus the same spiel. You could have been here. You should have done it. And Jesus offers her the same answer. And then it's so beautiful. Instead of just getting to work and solving it, Scripture says when Jesus saw her weeping, when saw, saw Martha and Mary weeping, and saw all the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He understood. You see, he doesn't just sit up there and he's not a project manager that just said, okay, fix this, fix this, move this around. But he comes and he enters into our suffering. He comes and feels the impact of the evil that's afflicted you. And he says, where have you laid him? And they say, come and see, Lord. And I really believe this is why Peter, who probably watched this, in one of his letters said, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. He sees you. He is with you. He waits with you. And I think that's why, even though the original author did not organize this book in chapters and verse, I think this is why this next action of Jesus gets its own verse. Shortest verse in the Bible said, Jesus wept. He didn't fix it immediately. He felt it with you. He didn't fix it. He felt it. He's with you right now. It was obvious to everyone. It says, the, the scripture says in verse 36, it says, Then the Jews said, see how he loved them. It wasn't a little tear. It wasn't a little sniffle. He felt it. But then there were others that just couldn't see it. But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind, have kept this man from dying? I mean, come on. <sighs> so there it is again. There's that struggle. If Jesus could, he would. Since he didn't, he can't, or he won't. But Jesus does, and Jesus does, and he will. Jesus, verse, verse 38 says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. He's dead. But then Jesus said, did I not tell you? You see, it's one thing in the moment, in a service, to believe, to, for your faith to be fired up. But then you're going to walk out and that same evil that's afflicting you, that same struggle that's afflicting you, it's going to rear its ugly head. And reality, the numbers are not going to add up. The doctor's tests are going to show up. The news is going to come, email, WhatsApp, and suddenly reality 
He strikes you in the face. But Lord, there's a bad odor. He's dead. I was kind of hoping maybe this was a dream, but it's dead. And the proof is there. And it stinks. But then he says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Did I not tell you? Did I not show you? Not once, not twice, but six times already that what I'm capable of? Okay. So they took the stone, didn't they? They took the stone, and then Jesus looked up, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And Jesus didn't pray a silent prayer. He prayed a public prayer. He said he identified himself with God, and he reminded them that he and God are so close. They are the same person. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And see, he's reminding us that the biggest question is not to somehow reconcile the existence of a good God and evil in the world. The biggest question that we have to answer is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus in your situation? In the facing of your evil, of your struggle, who is Jesus? Where is your focus? Verse 43, when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Some commentators said he had to say Lazarus specifically or else everybody in the grave would have come out. It was that powerful. It's like, okay, no, 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 no. We're just focusing. Focusing on the one. We'll deal with the rest of you later. But Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Can you imagine that moment? The man who was dead is alive. What was seen to be such an evil, horrific, preventable circumstance has just changed because Jesus showed up. And what's the result? Verse 45, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they did. But what about you and me? You see, we have the benefit of reading all of this. We have the benefit of taking all of this in. And as we close today, and I invite the musicians to come, and we close this series, I want to remind you of John's formula. I want to remind you of the formula for eternal life. See, Pastor Dylan and Pastor Aaron and I have not preached this series in the hope that you'll believe for the sake of belief. We didn't preach this series because we're just hoping that you'll have faith. Just believe. That's not what we're, our motivation is. Our motivation is that of the Apostle John. I'm asking you to believe because of what you saw. Seeing the miracles of Jesus led to believing. And believing led to trusting. That I've seen you once, twice, Seven times, do things that no ordinary man can do. And even in the midst of this, the, the ultimate evil, death, even though you were late, even though he seems to be late in delivering you from evil, a delay in deliverance is not a denial of devotion. If you're worried about where God is, don't lose your focus. We have presented you with seven signs, miracles that point you 
to the Messiah, to the one who God sent, who didn't come to fix weddings, but to fix the world. But he fixed the wedding anyway because mom asked him. He cares about the details. He cares about the little requests as much as the big requests, doesn't he? A God who can reach anyone anywhere with the power of his hand. Just say the word. Just say the word. Whose immediate power and presence is greater than failed traditions. Waiting 38 years for a tradition, something that might happen. Jesus shows up and it does happen. Someone who offers everlasting satisfaction rather than immediate indulgence. Who not only sees us in our times of need, who we're struggling out in the storms of life, we think he's left us, but he sees us afar off and he doesn't just acknowledge it, but he comes running. He walks on water. He, he crosses boundaries that no one could cross and steps into our situation who leverages our limitations for his timeless power. Folks, your weakness is not it, but in your weakness, he is strong. In your weakness, he is strong. My question to you today as we close this series, and you think about the situation you're struggling with, you think about the, the evil that you're wrestling with, and you're really, really trying to keep a grip on your focus, what? Better yet, who has your focus? Again, our verse says, but these were written, these were written that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Your life isn't over. Evil has not won. Death for those who follow Christ is not it. To be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. Whatever you're wrestling today, don't lose your focus. But put your focus on the one who offers life in his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray today you would come in and open our eyes. Lord, in this moment, my prayer is that no one would be able to turn a blind eye to Jesus. That they would see and look and know, believe, and put their trust in you. We can't do much about the evil in this world, but you've already done it. If you overcame the grave, you can overcome what we're facing today. Open our eyes. Open our eyes. Open our eyes and help us to focus on Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. Thank you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.